seated this morning as the lights come up. You can turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. We'll be in verse 36 uh, and following today as we um, start the downward climb. This summer we've been talking about our series on family values, what we believe and why we believe. We started this summer talking about that uh, process. And so uh, walking through that, this downward climb is not the end. It's just a, a door opening up. And so um, the next three weeks, um, we're going to be talking about the return of Christ and, and the things that come and, and follow him. This won't be a, a, a revelation study on what the symbols mean and those kinds of things. Um, we will keep it um, completely straightforward and let God guide us through uh, what's going on as we talk about the second coming, the reality of uh, judgment, what that looks like and the reality of heaven and hell. And so we'll be leaning into that uh, these next few weeks and then we'll take a little bit of break uh, to focus on family and some other things that are going on, just uh, household stuff. And what I mean by that is just way that the Lord can help us build and be a home that honors him uh, before we sneak back into November where we'll do a series on heaven and so we'll be looking at heaven before we get into our Christmas series so all that is it's what's coming out I know you guys are planners and what I just said was you don't need to miss church for the next ever okay basically that's what we're talking about um now this week was a, a big week. Um, our educators, all those involved with school, started back this week. And so uh, I know everybody loves being recognized in church. I know it's everybody's favorite thing. Um, but, but teachers, a couple of things. One, um, I want to spend some time where our church is just praying over you. If you are working in the education world, administrators, teachers, um, from uh, bus drivers to uh, administrators, whatever it is. We, we want to pray over you. And then after church, if you are in that world, um, if you make your way, if you stop by our Connections booth, we've got a little gift for you just to say, hey, we're rooting for you because you're a light to thousands of people who need to see Jesus Christ in 3D, up close and personal. And so we want your tank to be as full as possible uh, as we can help. So can we do this? If you are in the world of education, would you stand this morning? And as you stand, here's what I'm gonna ask you to, I'll let everybody reserve your claps for just a moment. We are proud of you. If you are a family member around them, would you take their hand or put their, your hand on their shoulder or something like that? I want, I want us to pray. If you're both educators, hold hands. That's totally biblically accurate and a bonus, men, uh, for that. Um, but can we just pray over those who are doing a, a big ministry in this year? Uh, Father God, thank you so much for the men and women in this room. Uh, Lord, those who are standing right now, God, you have called to a calling that puts them in front of so many lives. Lord, you have placed them in different phases, Lord, of, of life, Lord, in different environments where we know, God, that the reputation of our king can be shared where the word of the kingdom can be spoken, where the power of the gospel, Lord, can be evident through witness and word. And so, God, as, as these men and women go in to do what you have called them and designed them to do, God, first of all, God, would you guard their heart? Lord, we know the enemy desires to make sour the sweet calling on their life. And so, Lord, would you protect their heart? And would you be the one that fills their tank day in and day out? God, would you allow their witness to be one? that screams Jesus to their peers, that screams Jesus to the kids that they'll come in contact with. Lord, so that the kingdom of God, 
Lord, may be known more visibly in a more real way because of the way of the witness of those standing. Lord, we praise you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Now you can encourage them if you're here. Thank you all for, for serving. Um, we know you got into teaching to be rich. That's how it works. Um, so today, as we talk about um, the second coming, we're going to end our service with the Lord's Supper because it's, it's incredibly tied in because of the way Christ designed it. And, and in that, um, I just started doing some research. I've had people said, how was your week? Listen, if you ever spend a week on focusing on the return of Christ, it's a good week. Like, there's a real thing to that. But I came across an article that Billy Graham wrote in 1970 for the New York Times. Who knew? That was back when the newspapers wanted to know what, uh, what Billy Graham had to say and that kind of thing. And he wrote this. He said, a couple of years ago, so now 1968. Okay, 19. Now, kids, if you're under age 10, let me just help you out. Pastor David is not that old yet. Okay, so it's before me. So 1968, this is what he says. A couple of years ago, I was having breakfast with Walter uh, Ruther. And he was the the leader who built the United Auto Worker uh, Union, basically. And Ruther said, uh, science could bring paradise by the year 2000. This is what he shares to Billy Graham. Science, I know that's funny now, isn't it? Could bring paradise. Billy Graham said, I replied, there is one flaw. No one has fed into the computers the facts about man's moral weakness, his tendency towards hate, lust, and greed that produce racism, crime, war, and a thousand other evils. And and I, I read that as he's writing this article for the New York Times about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's a really fantastic article. Like I was just tempted to say, I'm throwing all my preparation out the door and letting Billy speak with us today. Um, Because as I looked at it, I just, I became very aware that our world and our life and our society is focused on improvement. I mean, we really, really are. And no matter what uh, end of the political spectrum you are on, our society is focused upon improvement of, of today and, and self-improvement and, and my, my desires and all these kinds of things. That's not a new thing, but that shows something that, that our focus has gotten away from focusing on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so these next three weeks, that's what we're just going to hammer into. My prayer would be that you just really lean into that, even in your personal thoughts throughout the week. Uh, If you have a piece of paper beside you, there's a statement. We're going to read. This is what we believe about the return of of Jesus Christ. It'll be up on the screen in just a second. Um, This is what we believe. Now, here's the key uh, in that we're not going to read this every week. This statement is going to cover the next three weeks, but it's so important. I don't want to speed read through it. And so if you will read along with me, uh, this is what we believe as a church family about the return of our Lord. Let's go. God, in his own time and in his own way, will bring the world and his plan to its appropriate completion. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised, and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be condemned to hell, a place of eternal, everlasting punishment. 
the righteous in their resurrection and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. All right? So if you're wondering, what do we believe? That's a summary statement. Now, you may have like subcategory questions about, well, what do we believe about X, Y, or Z? We are totally allowed, especially when it comes to Revelation, to really say, God, you chose to use symbols and not make it clear. So I wonder if this is where you're, that's totally fine. But your opinion on some of those things that God was not absolutely evident about, that doesn't play into being able to have community with a church body uh, around the return of Jesus Christ. But what we talked about uh, is dead on. The, the word that we'll use today, uh, and that's used kind of as the pronounced um, uh, drumstick of the New Testament, is the, the parousia. And, and what that is used for in the New Testament is, is this word that means arrival or in the verb form, their presence is with us. And believe it or not, this is a word that existed um, outside of religious circles before it made its way in and now is almost uniquely connected to Jesus Christ. Um, but, but the idea was that someone of extreme importance who was not currently there was coming. And you were doing all the things to anticipate their coming so that when they came, you knew that they wouldn't just be in the city, but they would actually make an impact on the city that they came into for the better. And so your job in the middle of all of this was to prepare for the arrival of this important person. Now, now I want you to know, this is God's his dictionary is amazing when he formed ideas and put words together and let men write them down on paper. It's incredible because this is exactly the plan we're going to follow. Is we believe wholeheartedly, and scripture is point to it as clear as possible, that we have the most special person who's coming and he will dwell and his presence will be with us and he will intervene and he will make an impact and that impact will improve everything. In fact, it will bring to completion and start something new. And our best role is to make ready now so that when he arrives, he doesn't even have to announce, we're found ready. So, so kids in the room, if you're, if you're a kiddo in the room, I want to ask you a question. I want you to whisper it to your mom or dad or grandparent. Who is someone when they come to visit your house that you have to clean up all of your toys before they come over? Who is that? Yeah, some of you are like the maid, which I don't understand. If you have someone to clean your house, why we clean? That was ours for a little season, right? For us, it was basically any time who wasn't family. If you weren't family, we knew it because our house had to be spotless all of a sudden. We're like, it's not spotless. There's six of us living in this thing. You know, we didn't have 3,000 square foot houses. We had 1,900, 14, 16. If you came to my house growing up, it looked like six people lived there and three of us were boys. But if you were visiting from church, I didn't know exactly what time you were arriving, but I knew you were coming because my mom got serious. You see, when we talk about the second coming of Christ, we really want to lean into the truth and the reality and not get caught off guard. If you have your Bible, we're going to read the whole passage and then we're going to break it apart. So a lot of Bible today, if you're all right with that. Um, in verse 36, chapter 24 of Matthew, this is what the Bible says. 
Now this is, this is the words of Christ. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels, nor the Son, but the Father only. For, uh, excuse me, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. I, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming, but you know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, and he would not have let his house get broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man. In the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Verse 45. Who then is faithful and the wise servant whom his master has set over the household to give him their food at their proper time? Uh, blessed is that servant whom his master will find and so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect and at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him, in, put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as we walk through this, we're gonna just touch on a few questions. Over the next three weeks, we're gonna unpack it well. But we're gonna to touch on three questions today. When we talk about the second coming of Christ, what are we talking about? So we'll, we'll look at what scripture says about that. The second thing we're gonna do is we're gonna answer the question, when? When will it come? How will we know? And then third, we're gonna ask maybe the most important question along the way is this, is then what shall we do? How can I be ready? So that's what we're going to fall through. What is it? When will it be? And how will I be ready? And so, first of all, if you were to look in Matthew chapter uh, 24, look at verse 43 and 44, because herein lies a very clear explanation of what the uh, arrival is about. Verse 43. But know this, if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. And therefore, wouldn't Allah's house been broken into? Verse 44, you also must be ready for the Son of Man, for he is coming at an hour when you don't expect. All right, so we know that the return of Jesus Christ is the arrival of him in a way that will impact everything around us. It, it, it would be very similar to the master arriving at the very end in verse 48 with the wicked servant. God uses both illustrations, the thief and the master. And he says, here's the deal. Someone who will radically change your life, who is the master, is returning. And his arrival is the second coming. So the real physical arrival of Jesus Christ, just like a real physical arrival of a thief or a real physical arrival of the head of the household or master of the household, that is the second coming. I want you to know in scripture, there are over 1,800 references to the second coming 
of Jesus Christ, to the, to the second coming of his establishment of his rules. In the New Testament, the second coming is referred to so often, if you were to spread it out evenly over all of the verses, from the beginning of Matthew to the end of Revelation, one out of every 30 verses would reference it. That's how big of an impact it is. Jesus himself referred to it over 20 times. Now listen, have you, have you ever told a story that's important to you? And here's how you know it's important to you. Because your wife has to remind you how many times you've told that story. Do y'all have any stories like that? Ladies, are there some husbands around here who are like, yes. You know, we, we just have that. This, it's just such an important story. We tell it over and over and over. Things that are not important, we don't repeat. You know how that works? Like, if you were to say, man, David, what happened on the way to church this morning? I would tell you, I think I hit two lights. If later on you were saying, what happened last Sunday? I wouldn't even reference hitting two lights. It would be something more important. We repeat what's important, right? Early on in ministry, it was hilarious. They used to make fun of me. Christy would, would, uh, would sing and whatnot. And very early on, probably the first two or three years, I would say, that's my wife. I mean, there's 75 people around. We all know she's your wife. I'm like, I know, she's just important. We repeat what's important to us. And, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, in the words of, of Christ, but also throughout all of Scripture, talks about the second coming of God over and over. Why? Because it's that important and it's that certain. It's that important, it's that certain. In fact, it became so important to the early church that in the last page of Revelation, you'll see these words, come Lord Jesus. And that word is Maranatha. And that became the way that Christians would just greet each other because they were just saying, it's all that we're about all that drives us all the force behind us is maranatha like come lord jesus we want to be ready for your arrival we want to be prepared for you to show up on the scene but here's what happens sometime in between i've been reading all about it. it's interesting sometime between the early church and today the driving force of the people of god seems to have changed at least in in our culture because what drives us tends not to be the sudden and imminent coming of the Lord. But I think our focus tends to be more on how the Holy Spirit can just get me through or take care of me today. And the Holy Spirit taking care of us is an important part of our walk. But when it drives us, where are our eyes? They're looking down, they're not looking up. And so as I, as I dug into this, that conviction kind of swelled over me that my heart and our hearts as a church need to be tied to the imminent and happening, the certain return of Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. I want you to hear this. This is really important. If that is not true, then all we are doing is a very moralistic country club. 
if what Jesus says is I will return for you and I'm preparing a place for you and where I am, there you will be. If that was untrue, if that promise isn't there, it all falls apart because what's the point? It, there's, there's nothing to it. That's why Paul would say, if you say you believe in Jesus but don't believe he was raised from the dead, you've just destroyed it all because a dead man can't come back for you. A, a dead man can't intercede at the footsteps of his father. A, a dead man cannot overcome the enemy. Church, in this moment, it is this promise that when Jesus comes, he will finish. He will bring to completion what he began. And he will open the door to a newness that we have and so it's a fulfillment of a promise but I also want you to know something about the arrival of Jesus Christ look at your Bible at verse 40 and 41 again chapter 24 verse 40 and 41 this is what it says then two men will be left in the field and one will be taken and left and two will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one will be left I, I want you to know when the Lord Jesus returns it's not a warning shot it's not a, hey, you know, uh, the British are coming moment. Like you've got time to prepare. When the Lord Jesus comes, that moment is an eternity-altering moment for every living thing in creation, most specifically men and women. And so the arrival of our Lord, the, the second coming, is the real and imminent presence of the living Son of God returning for us, fulfilling his promise, and at that moment will be a crossroads and there will be no take-backs, second chances. One will be there and one will be left. So when will it happen? So we know that it, what it is, but when will it happen? Well, first of all, I, I want you to know we have to be willing to celebrate our uncertainty. Or maybe we can have certainty without the specifics, whichever one makes you feel better. But, but when he comes back, it's an intervention. And, I, and I, I had to start thinking of how to put it in words I understand. I don't know if you've ever been a part of an intervention um, but if you've ever been a part of an inter intervention, normally it happens by a little bit of surprise, right? Because when I'm doing something wrong and, and I get surprised, I, ha I can't run away. I'm, I'm caught in the middle. So when the Lord Jesus comes, he will be intervening. You see, the world will be going in a specific direction and he will come to make it right. And so we have to understand that there's a reason behind his lack of specifics and he doesn't owe us an explanation, but he tells us a little bit. Verse 36 of Matthew 12 to 24. Jesus says this, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but the father only. For as they were in the day of Noah, some will be, so will be the coming of man. Verse 38, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving into marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. 
and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away and so will be the coming of the son of man here's what i want to let you know in there it talks about some different things we can be aware of and first of all is this is that no man no woman knows the hour of his return here's what you need to hear from my lips it is worthless it is futile and it is sinful to try to solve that puzzle so this is a free tip if you're visiting today welcome to first baptist free tip if you visit a church where they have nailed down the time run away because the preacher is a liar amen you coming with me on this why because that's what jesus says in this and so what we look at it we can talk about why there is and and we can go into god's incredible design for that but at the end of the day how we understand it doesn't matter as much as what the lord tells us about it and that is you don't know the time and to try and figure out the time is sinful and so holy spirit tip god does not want you to spend your life sinning amen it's like a parent. If you have a five-year-old, you don't want them to be rebelling violently for the next 12 years, amen? That's right. If you don't want it with your kid, God doesn't want it with his. And so in that, don't pursue it. But God doesn't leave us completely hanging. He at least tells us about himself in this. In Second Peter, uh, the Bible says it uh, this way, verse chapter three, verse eight through nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but patient towards you. I love that God doesn't care what people think of him. That that's, makes me happy. But, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all of you should reach repentance. But on the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works and all that are done with it will be exposed. We may not know when, but at least God tells you, let me tell you why I'm the clock keeper because I want men to come to repentance. I don't want anyone to perish. I want my saints to come in. So God's not slow, he's sovereign. And so don't get thinking that he is lazy or not coming back. And don't start guessing randomly God has a plan and it basically puts on his fatherly robe and says, this is how it's gonna be because I said so. Normally when a mom or dad finally gets to that breaking point of because I said so, it means I really have no desire to explain it to you, but I know what I'm doing. That's what the Lord says here. You don't know the hour, you don't know the time, that's all right, but there will be some signs that you can know it's getting nearer and nearer and nearer. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. At verse 37 through 39, we read that about Noah and men and women getting married and giving themselves to marry, that they would, they would be drinking and um, eating and having a delight, kind of like the time of Noah. Now, here's the interesting thing. There is nothing biblically wrong with eating, amen? That's it. We've got a brisket fellowship coming up nothing wrong with that there's nothing biblically bad about marrying is there 
absolutely not. God kind of created that thing, right? So these, these aren't God saying, well, X, Y, or Z is going to be happening. But what he's saying is some of the th- signs you can be looking for is that the world is going to be more centered on itself and desire and that's just going to keep overflowing and overflowing in scripture it'll talk about wars it'll talk about some people talking about peace that's not really coming and here it's the image of noah and you can look at these signs and they're evident it's a great bible study on the week this week but let's just talk about this one jesus says here's the deal when i return on that day Men and women are going to have their bags so packed in this life that they are living for the things of this world. What drives them are the markers of today. What, what puts them in is this, and, and y'all, I had a moment because when I was a college student, I was like, Lord, I love you so much. Lord, I'm falling in love with this girl. We're getting married on June 27th, 1998. That's 18 months. Can you come back on the 30th? Like, that would be awesome. You know, I don't know if you had thoughts like that. Then temptation will come. Lord, we're pregnant with our first child, second child. You come back whenever you desire, Lord. But if you would, would you just wait till they graduate or they get married? And then there's this mythical thing called grandparents that I hear is an awesome moment. Like, God, I get to be the good parent and send them back and pay back my children. Could you please? I, I, I'm so in love with you. Please come back in about 18 years. Here's the crazy thing as I thought through all those conversations that I've had with the Lord. David, you are packing bags that are real heavy and hold you down to the things of this world. Because I want to make it extreme, amen? I want to make it extreme. Like the world is broken out, you know, it's just just this huge drunken festival. It's going to be so obvious and so gross that I'm just, the church, we're just going to huddle up and try to endure the night. But I'm like, Lord, actually, what you're talking about is your, ha- your bags are heavy, your camp is, is big. And so you may think that you love Jesus, but you're really living for tomorrow here, not tomorrow there. And just like the people of Noah who were going along with their life, thinking he was a crazy kook, that maybe God would do something one day, but he wasn't gonna bring destruction that day. They went along with their life and totally missed the path to salvation and totally lost out and tasted destruction we don't know when but there will be signs in church the signs are happening in big pictures and little pictures and finally don't get fooled 
When is he coming? Now, this is huge. I remember years ago uh, in Houston, uh, there was a pastor that claimed to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you remember that, but it was actually on, I think it was on ABC News, our local station here. It was an interesting uh, story. I've been a Houstonian for a while. Let me read to you what Luke chapter 17 says, verse 22 through 24. And he, Jesus, said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire, when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you won't see it. In other words, things are getting bad. And they will say, look there or here. Do not go out and follow them for his lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to another. So will the son of man be on his day. Don't be fooled. When Jesus returns, everyone will know he has returned. Okay. If, if you have to say, is that him? It's not him. If someone has to come and tell you, I have found him, they are wrong. They did not find him right it's it's not it's not there on the day when jesus returns this is the teary-eyed prayers of a father's heart now knowing my children belong to jesus christ but i i just thought lord bring them to you because on the day that you return you got my whole gaze i will not be looking back saying i love something else more than you so if they know you, they'll be running too. And if they're not, me looking back will not help. It will convict. So do not be fooled. When Jesus Christ returns, you will know and until that day, everything else is intended to lead you away from him. So how do we live ready? Verse 45 through 51. We get these examples. Who is the faithful and the wise servant whom the master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions, but that wicked servant, he says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. And the master of that servant will come and on that day he does not expect him to. And the hour he doesn't know him will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus returns, it will be his arrival, it will be real. When he will return, he will have an obvious intervention with all of creation. And what will be the result of that is judgment. And judgment is a word that we use in a heavy way, but it should also be a word that instills hope in us. You see, in this picture, what the Lord says is to you, my servants, if you are a faithful servant who I've put in charge of the house while I have gone away, so to speak, where my physical presence is not with you, the faithful servant who has honored me, who hasn't treated my house like it was his own, who hasn't been unfaithful, abusing other people, abusing my resources, abusing my creation as if they were the end of my creation as if it were their own. In other words, the faithful servant is a servant who is living lightweight, who is saying, God, what you want, when you want, how you want. 
who says to the Lord up in heaven, listen, this is yours. My family, my children, my life, my TV, my car, my bank account, my debt, whatever it is, Lord, let me just know that everything you put into my possession is holy and yours. So how do we live ready for the second coming? If you read scripture over and over and over, being constantly prepared for his coming. We talk about it around here and in schools, you get caught doing something good. That's how we live ready. Have you ever thought about that when Jesus, when the disciples say, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, well, you pray like this. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. You notice he doesn't say, give us this day our daily buffet. Have you noticed that? He just says, give us our daily bread. Like, Lord, when I'm praying to God, Lord, what do I need to be yours today? That's it. I don't want anything else that ties me here and keeps my chin from looking up here. I, I want to live without it. It's, that doesn't mean it's wrong to plan. Jesus says, count the costs before you go to war. He, he tells us to steward what is his, but stewarding what is God and making investments with what is God for ourselves are very different things. So we live lightweight, prepared and ready for what God is calling us to do. And if you want to know how to test it, this is how we test it. Do you know how you pack your car or your bag on a trip pronounces to the world your expectations? Amen? All right? When we had our first child, we went from two sedans to an SUV. Do you know why? Because when you pack with a toddler, you pack for survival. Amen? everything you can put in you you need it because you just don't know that bouncy round thing that takes up your whole car you need it that toy that every time your car hits a bumps and makes music you need it 400 onesies absolutely duh like you just throw it in right the more we back tells us what we're expecting if you go on a trip around the world, if you're going to places with, with, with long trips or you're, you're, you're going to places with extreme temperatures, what you pack speaks volumes of what you are getting ready for in your mind, in your heart. So how do we live ready? Well, every day, Lord, let me pack my bags so that while I'm working, if you come, I'm just ready. No strings, no fear, no sin, no selfishness. I just, I just want to be ready. I just want to be doing what you have. I don't need an SUV, God. I just need a backpack. And I hope is my backpack is mainly just your word reminding me what to do for tomorrow. Church, it's not complex. We have been rescued and saved by a God who is able to overcome life and death. And he sent his son to die on a cross for sins he didn't commit so that you and I would have a way 
to live ready. Like, that's the point. That's, that's all of it. And in writing down his story and putting it all down on paper, here's what happens. When he said, again, I will come, I will return for you, that is what it all bounces on. If you want to know what stories to teach your children about, teach them that Jesus is coming back and everything you do is to be ready for him. Why does my daughter want to be a teacher? Because she knows that she can influence a lot of children to know and see the testimony and hear about Jesus wherever she's going to be. Why is my son desiring to be a worship pastor? because he just wants to proclaim that's we just want we want to teach them you live ready and they're not perfect and i'm not perfect but lord help me i just don't want to be caught on the couch watching something ridiculous when my lord says i'm home the bible writes these words the Lord says, and there will be signs in sun and moons and stars on the heaven and on the earth. Distresses of nations in perplexity because of the roaring sea and the waves, people fainting with fear, foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heavens will be shaken and they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to play, take place, straighten up raise your head because redemption is drawing near today our invitation is a little different because we're taking the Lord's Supper when Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper and told us to remember him we find that we're not just remembering his history but we're remembering his future in fact, Paul would say it this way. When you take the bread and you drink the drink, that you are proclaiming Jesus is coming back. He has been broken for us. His blood has opened up a new covenant. And all of that matters because he will return. So this morning, our time of invitation is just a little different. You're always welcome to pray, but if the Lord is moving in your heart, I wanna invite you after service is over. We have some people who'll be waiting for you in the Connection Center, and, and I want you to make your way to talk to them about Jesus Christ. But as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, it's a little bit different because the invitation is to prepare your heart. Isn't it funny that a symbol that is supposed to remind us to be ready that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes is preceded with a warning that we should not take it unready. That's the warning. If you're wondering why mom and dad, we don't give um, this juice and wafer to children who don't know Jesus Christ, it's not because we don't love them. But what father would want their put their child or daughter in a place of discipline before the king? And so if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've confessed him as your only Lord and Savior, then here's what I want you to know. I want to invite you to take this with us. If you don't, this is a symbol. There's no salvific potion in here. 
its value is in the proclamation. So I would just encourage you to witness. Ask the Lord to give you insight. And if you have little children in here, tell them why you're excited that Jesus is coming back. If you're a father in this room, if you're a mom or grandparent, odds are you may have never talked to your child about the return of Jesus Christ and what he means to you. You can whisper while we're in here, but don't let the sun go down without telling them why you live for one who is coming back. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts? Father God, Lord, we love you so very much. Lord, let me straighten my back and lift up my head knowing that redemption is near. God, I pray that the witness of your saints in this room, Lord, that you would wash them now. Father, I pray right now for, for, for anyone in here that is, is wrestling with sin and struggling with sin and, and you brought them into this place right here and right now. And maybe they've walked into church a thousand times and taken the Lord's Supper a, a thousand times before. But Father God, before they sin against you, God, would you allow them to confess so that they could unload their bags and live lightweight in this moment ready for you? Lord, would you let the Lord's Supper proclaim to them, Christ died for me and he is returning for me. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that does not know you, Lord, would you open their eyes? Father God, because you have called them, you have desired for them to join you. Lord, would you let them confess and know the reality of the coming of the Son of God? In Jesus' name.